Thank you. You may be seated. Men, you can be dismissed back to your seats. We are going to be taking a turn from our study in the book book of Ephesians. I hope this will be an encouragement to you. It's appropriate as we are approaching um, a, a major milestone here for Calvary and something that we are talking about and we've been talking about for quite some time. Next week, we'll be having a business meeting to discuss it, and um, I thought we would take some time to remember our main objectives. And so if you are a little bit newer to Calvary, um, these objectives are some things that guide us in every decision that we make, everything that we do. And we're going to um, uniquely look into the book of Nehemiah, which is way before the church was established, and we're going to be encouraged, I hope, for some principles that God established a long, long time ago, and I think he put certain needs and emotions within men and women, and he knew what we would need as we come to uh, his church, and so today we're going to be examining that. I'm going to ask you to bow with me one more time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we look to you with an expectation of the Holy Spirit clearly being involved in our time. We thank you for what you have taught us through our lives. We praise you for the wonderful assurance that we can have of eternity with you. And not only that, but of your presence through this world, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the time to study your word now. Would it be clear? Would you help me not to get in the way, but would you hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ so that he is exalted and we as a church are blessed and encouraged? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How is your memory doing these days? How good do you remember? Now, some of you heard that question, and you were, you were good to go for that. I heard some even giggle a little bit when I asked that question. Let me give you a few categories, uh, and we'll see how you're doing. Uh, using one of three descriptions, and don't answer out loud, and don't raise your hand. But one of these three descriptions to describe how you're doing in remembering a few categories. You might say to yourself, you might say, okay, I'm doing pretty good at remembering those things. Another category might say, I'm doing okay at remembering those. And there are some of you who might fall into the category of my memory is awful when it comes to some things. Some of you, your memory is awful when it comes to everything. I understand where you're coming from. Let me give you a few categories. Don't raise your hand but just make a note to yourself mentally. How well do you do at remembering birthdays? Not just remembering birthdays, but far enough in advance that if you're going to put a card in the mail, they'll actually get it by their birthday. Are you pretty good, okay, or awful? How about when you have to go to the store and you have to get some items? Let's say you have to get five items from the store. How well is your memory? Can you get all five of them without making a list or writing it down. I went yesterday and I had to make a list. Listen, I had to make a list for two items. I had to write down two items. I couldn't even remember that many. So I wouldn't even say my memory is okay. I'd say it's awful. How is your memory when it comes to names? Perhaps you've had the experience of meeting somebody, shaking their hand, giving them your name, and they give you your name, and literally... Within 20 seconds, you cannot remember what their name was. It got said out loud just now, and you cannot remember what their name was. 
How are you doing on that? Pretty good at names? Some are. Are you okay at names or are you awful at remembering names? How about this one here? How are you doing at remembering the blessings from God? Are you pretty good at that? Do you go a long stretch without acknowledging the blessings from our God? Today we have a little mini theme of remembering because as we come to the Lord's table, Jesus Christ said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Remember my sacrifice when you do this. And then we are today, of course, spending some specific time remembering the main objectives. If you've been around Calvary for a while or if you've been through our membership class, you have been introduced to this. Sharon, I'm going to let you advance the slides today. That'll help me out this morning with what we're trying to do. I have a little graphic here in my hand, and you'll see it on, your, on the screen as well. And the four tires that you see around that car... Um, and I did not spe- choose a specific kind of car, okay? So whatever your favorite kind of car is, that's what that is, all right? I didn't pick a foreign car, all right? I know better than to do that. I didn't pick a Ford. I didn't pick a Chevy. So whatever kind of car you think that looks like, you pick that one. What I want you to focus on, though, is the wheels. What helps us as a church? And if you can imagine the church as a car, what helps us to move along? And not only helps us to move along, but it has to be in balance, We cannot just have two of these wheels or three of these. We have to have all four. Our main objectives around here are worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression. It's accurate to say this. Everything, and I don't use that word lightly. I'm not a fan of exaggeration. Everything that we do at Calvary needs to fall underneath at least one of these main objectives. And oftentimes, um, something that we do will fall under more than one of those objectives. We're going to talk about these objectives today. We're going to look at the main um, purposes that drive us. Of course, we exist for the glory of God, but these are things that we have um, set out to help us um, get there for God's glory, help move us along as a church. I did not develop these. Um, I am thankful for uh, Charles Swindoll, who years ago put these into a book, Worship, Instruction, Fellowship, and Expression. And I'm thankful for his creativity. Having said that, I'm fairly confident that Chuck Swindoll would say he did not invent these either. Every one of these comes from God's word. And if we have a balance of these, what we see is a church that's going to be healthy. What we see is a church that is not going to get lopsided. It's not going to get into a rut. And so as our leadership looks at what we are doing on a regular basis. These um, are things that drive us, uh, pun intended there. We do have some guardrails that are up, the leaders modeling these things, as well as the finances in order. This will help us to go down the right path. And the road that we drive on, biblical doctrine, the right cardinal teachings, and also the involvement of the Holy Spirit, him working in our midst. Our church family is moving towards the biggest improvement to our facility that we will take on since 1980. It's been over 35 years since we've had an improvement this big. And one of the reasons that we can move forward with confidence is because when we move forward, we know that these four main objectives are driving us in our ideas. Today, we're reminded of these objectives. And let me just tell you this. We don't own the corner on this. Any healthy church that you go to is going to have some variation of these. 
and I have studied it. There, there's a multiple, there's a variety of ways to, play, to put it. There's ways you can put it to remember it. We use the acrostic wife, worship, instruction, fellowship, expression. It helps me to memorize it. But it's also encouraging that not only are there churches across the world that are practicing these um, main objectives, but even before Pentecost, so before Christ established his church, we see these principles that God would let, that he would allow them to get fleshed out oftentimes. And so some of you might be confused if we're talking about our main objectives as a church, which started in Acts chapter 2, how in the world can we rewind a couple thousand years and go back to Nehemiah? It's not going to be a stretch for us. I hope that you will see it come through. We're going to be in a few different areas in the book of Nehemiah. If you're not already there, please turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. And if you do not own a Bible, please take that Bible as our gift to you. We at Calvary want everyone to make sure they have a Bible in their possession. So keep that if you do not have a Bible of your own. I'm going to give a few illustrations today, which always makes people sit up. I'm going to talk about a few people that are here today. I'm not going to mention any names, so don't get nervous. Um, They're all positive illustrations, and so there's no reason to get nervous. Having said that, these illustrations that I'm going to give did not take place, a story or something, and because of that, it drove us to establish one of these objectives. Instead, We had these objectives already there, and this is just a revealing and a confidence that we can have in those objectives. We're in the book of Nehemiah. Let me give some background before we read a few verses in chapter 6. One of the most devastating days in Jewish history took, took place around 586 B.C. This is when the Babylonian captivity began. And when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, the Bible records for us that they destroyed the walls, they burned the gates, and they burned the temple. So for God's people, who this city, this city set on a hill, some of you have been there, was so central to their faith and to their practices in religion. And so for them at this time, of course, they not only were grieved about this, but they were undone. The Hebrew child of God not being able to worship in that city of God was a horrible thing that lasted decade after decade. And not only was the city um, damaged in such a way, but thousands were taken away into slavery. Now that Babylonian captivity um, happened, and about 100 years after that, there were a faithful few, and this is important for you to know before we get into Nehemiah. There were a faithful few who came back and they were able to rebuild the temple that was inside the walls of Jerusalem. And so that was an important part, especially for their worship. And yet even though the temple was mostly intact, the walls were not intact. They were not rebuilt. And the gates had been burned. They remained in ruins. And also, there were thousands of Jews that remained in captivity. One such Jew was Nehemiah. He had been taken hundreds of miles away. He was a slave, and yet he had risen in prominence where he was at. There's no doubt in my mind that God clearly had his hand of blessing on Nehemiah's life. 
And when Nehemiah gets word, someone travels to his area, and when he gets word, he says, how are things back home? He maybe had got wind that the temple had been rebuilt. What an encouragement for the Jews. What a blessing. And so very likely, he was hoping that there had been some work that had been done on the walls, on protecting this city, which all prominent cities needed back in that day. And when Nehemiah gets word that the walls were still broken down and the gates were non-effective, had been burned, he turns to weeping. And then he turns to God. He does his best for himself and for his people to repent of their sins, of their dismissing God or turning away from him. And then Nehemiah asked the question, what can I do to make a difference with this project? What can I do for God and for God's people? And the Bible records for us that Nehemiah began planning to rebuild the wall. He faced opposition. There were certain people that opposed him. He went through discouragement. He was able to rally God's people. It's a wonderful book on leadership. And then we see that Nehemiah was able to see the task accomplished. And I want to suggest to us today, just to connect these main objectives for us, that Nehemiah was able to revive four critical stones for the people of Jerusalem. He was able to take from the rubble these stones, and we'll see that um, as we look at this, and then we'll connect it to Calvary for today. I'd like for us to see what is important to us today has been important to God for year after year and generation after generation. If you're taking notes, we're going to start with that first one, worship. Number one, worship in Nehemiah. Have you ever considered the area of worship and what it might look like to someone who does not have a God like Jesus Christ? In our day today, individuals that will see you gathering together, and they're going to suspect, listen, they're going to have suspicions as to why you are gathering together. Perhaps it's just to make you feel good. Some folks like to get together to feel good. Maybe you've got a friend that's meeting um, at this place, and that's why you get together. Maybe you just, you're musical. You like to sing, and you can see the effort and time that goes into that. This is a curious thing, because we gather together, not, specific, not, uh, not intentionally for the other person across the aisle, or even for the person that you're with every day when you come, but the main reason why we gather together is to worship God. And how unusual this must look to a world that is consumed with self-promotion. There were many who were opposed in Jerusalem to rebuilding the walls. I believe that there were many who would stand to lose income. You know, people figure out how to make money. No matter what generation you are in, people will see the surroundings and they'll figure out how to make money. Well, it had been a long time since Jerusalem was intact and I believe, I believe very specifically that some would lose status if these walls were rebuilt, and some would lose some monies. And we see here the response from those that were the enemies to this project. In Nehemiah <clears throat> chapter 6, look with me in verses <clears throat> 15 and 16. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid 
and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Let's stop right there. I hope you caught the time frame that it took, 52 days to complete this incredible task. The temple had been rebuilt, but the people were not safe to worship as God intended. And so we see them now, and they're going to get this job accomplished so they can worship as God would have wanted them to. When it comes to worship at Calvary, here's how we break this down. We are joining together for a spirit-led time of worship and praise directed to our God. Why? In response to the atoning work of Jesus Christ. So the reason that we join together for corporate worship is because Jesus Christ has saved us, and we want to celebrate that together. John 4.23 says, But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father, and this is, this is such a beautiful, some of you can finish the verse, and it's rare that you find something in the scriptures that God is actively seeking from you. If I were to quiz you right now, how many things can you give me that you can give me the Bible verse that says God is actively seeking it from you? And right here in John 4, 23, we find that where it says, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God the Father wants your worship if you've been saved by grace today. We divide worship into a couple different categories as we talk about it on a regular basis. The first category is personal worship. If you're going to be growing as a Christian, this has to be a part of your life. I cannot overemphasize this. Can't. You have to have personal worship. You need to, on your own, be thanking God for your salvation. You need to be on your own taking in from God's word this wonderful, wonderful truth that he has given us. You need to be praying. You need to be standing in awe at times as you examine what he has done. The Father is seeking such to worship him. There needs to be private worship, but also there needs to be corporate worship or public worship. Neither one of these can be ignored in a healthy follower of Jesus Christ. By the way, we do not worship God because of what he will give to us. That's not why. It's a response to what he has already given us in salvation. Remember the book of Job, that old, old book, and what Job went through. And the great question in the book of Job is not, why do the righteous suffer? We might be tempted to ask that question, but that's not the right question. When we come to the book of Job, it's not right, why do the righteous suffer? But instead, the question is, is God worth worshiping even if he does not bless me like I think he should? And the answer is what? Yes, God is worthy of our worship. And so we praise God in our private worship, but also we praise God in his plan for today, which is the church. Let us not be deceived into thinking that the church is a building. The church is defined as a group of people that are called out, called out from the world. 
So you don't even have to have a building to have a church. In fact, in the early days, they did not have those buildings. But I want us to remember that it is God's plan for brothers and sisters to join together for corporate worship. This is one of our main objectives at Calvary and one that we give much time and much effort to to enhance the worship that we experience here. Because not only do we want those who have attended here for a long time to join together and worship with each other, but we want very much so to add new worshipers to our assembly. Just in the past uh, couple years, we had an individual that was newer to Calvary here, and he gave testimony that um, talked about this. When he talked about coming to our church assembly, he had a memory of when he was much, much, much younger, when he was a young person, and going to church, and there was a spirit of worship that was there in the church. And as he remembered that, it, it was what church should be when it comes to this area of worship. And when he came and visited Calvary, he said, that was the spirit that I experienced when I came in here. A wonderful spirit of worship. And of course, we're all different. That's going to mean something different for this person as it is for this person. But that's a beautiful way of explaining this. We gather together for worship. One of our main objectives is worship. Number two, instruction. Instruction. In the book of Nehemiah, the people, when they were presented with this incredible job ahead of them, and once they completed it, they became hungry for God's word. We learn that they actually assembled together at one of the gates that had just been fixed, and they gathered together to hear Ezra read from the law of Moses. And as Nehemiah sees the people gather together for worship, he actually has to direct them. Nehemiah directs the people from going to a place of weeping, which we can understand that, with what they had just experienced. But he encourages them to turn their weeping into rejoicing. If you turn over to chapter 8 of Nehemiah with me, we're going to read three different sections here. It'll be short. Chapter 8, starting in verse 1. This is after the building had taken place. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform so that they they had made for that purpose. Skip down to verse six. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands, And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Look at verse 8. They read from the book from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. We go back all the way to Nehemiah's day, and we see how important this was. 
God's people will fall short of what God wants them to be if they are not having private worship and if they're not having public worship. God's people will fall short of what he wants them to be, what he wants you to be, if you're not having private instruction and also public instruction, gathering together for the learning of God's word. And instruction at Calvary, here's how we represent it here. We are growing deeper in our understanding of God, knowledge of the Bible, and the purpose for which we were created. Many of you have learned over the years that the better you know the Word of God, the better you will know the God of the Word. As we meet as a leadership on a regular basis, one story that stands out in my mind, um, somebody said, I'll tell you why someone who's chosen to come here in the last several years has chosen to stay. It's because that the Word of God is central here. And you would go to a lot of churches and some would emphasize the Bible more than others. We work very hard at making sure that the Word of God is taught and that it is emphasized. And this is something that we do not want to move away from. In fact, it's something that, and we, you know, I, I like to get along with, with other churches and that's, gonna be, that's an important part for me personally and it should be for you as well. So there's going to be some differences sometimes in philosophies. I understand that. Individuals that would come in new to Calvary, they might not, if I can use this phrase, they might not have their palate acclimated to the teaching of God's word very much. We work hard to make sure that we open God's word, that we look at it. Success for me at the end of a message is, when we're going through these, um, these small portions of scripture, if someone were to read through that, is that what they walked away with? Sometimes we'll make points out of it. Sometimes we'll even alliterate it. There will be some things that we'll do. We'll put slides up on the screen for those of you who are visual learners. But our point is to teach God's word. And instruction here at Calvary means that we are growing deeper in our understanding of God, in our knowledge of the Bible. And this is the reason why you're created. You know why you were created. And it's the absence of the knowledge of God and man's refusal to, to, to obey God that is at the root of every problem that we have. Let me say that again. It is the absence of the knowledge of God and the refusal to obey God that lies at the root of every problem that we will face. Then number three, fellowship. Fellowship. And as I looked at this, I um, had to think for a little bit how to connect this, but it was pretty obvious when you get into this overall story, how these people bonded together. When this group joined together to accomplish something that was seemingly impossible, I mean, we already read in chapter six how the enemies clearly recognized that God was involved in this. When this group joined together to accomplish something that seemed impossible, when God was clearly getting involved all throughout and added his work to what they were doing, these people were incredibly bonded together. And not only were the Jews bonded together, and not only were they able to enjoy the fruit of their labor, they've got a protected city now, they can worship as God intended, but here's what we see. When this was all done, 
The work was completed. What happened was it gave them a platform for incredible service. We see individuals in the thousands that have a main purpose, joining together, fellowshipping. And this incredible task that was completed was a launching pad for incredible service for God. This task that they were able to wonderfully unite behind didn't just give them the city intact, but it increased their effectiveness for God. Look at chapter 7 with me of Nehemiah. Just back one page. We'll be in three short sections as well here. Look at verse 1 of chapter 7 with this area of fellowship and bonding together and purpose for something for God. Verse number 1 of chapter 7 says, when, Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites, and that the Levites had been appointed. Skip down to verse 5. Then my God put into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. Now skip to the end and look at verse 66 with me. The whole assembly together was 42,360 beside their male and female servants of whom there were 7,337 and they had 245 singers, male and female. Let's stop right there. Understand this was not just a project and then it finished. Not just a task that they were able to check off their list but what happens here is they're able to promote what God wants them to promote, something within. Every individual in a church needs to have this kind of fellowship. I'll say it this way sometimes. You need, you need to be missed when you're not able to show up at your church. There needs to be something within you that's investing in others and allowing others to invest in you. And how beautifully God keeps working in their city in this beautiful example. Here at Calvary, here's how we say fellowship. And this is heavy. It is. We are committing ourselves to one another. We accomplish this by praying together, by serving one another, by provoking one another to do good works. And don't rush past the last one by standing together in all things, from weeping to rejoicing. Kind of reminds us of those marriage vows, for better or for worse. This is what true fellowship is. It's not just a get-together around a table, but it is um, doing things maybe physically together, but very much so emotionally and spiritually being bonded together in our fellowship. Hebrews 10.24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to good works. We need to understand that a church is the people, it's not the building, but with that said, there are so many aspects when we are able to have a facility like we are blessed with here that gives us a launching pad. The gymnasium that we have, we built over 35 years ago. Many of you have already been blessed this week by having that. We already had a small little fellowship hall over here. Why do we have to have a bigger one? Well, today it's hard to imagine if we did not have that bigger one and what a blessing it has been. 
And oftentimes when we have fellowship, part of a facility can be a part of giving a person a place to serve with how God has gifted them. I was talking with someone uh, just in the past couple weeks. We were talking about why people go to a church. And this one came up. They said very clearly, no, no, no. There has to be a connection with somebody else there. Has to be. I not only have Christ in common with them, but maybe something else as well. Something that is heavy on my heart or something that I'm going through right now. Maybe someone who's a peer of yours in the workplace or you're raising a family of uh, kids the same age. It's a beautiful, beautiful place that we can come to when we find others to sharpen us and that we can help sharpen. And then finally, number four is expression. Expression. An expression in Nehemiah is just simply this. We are familiar If you're a student of the Bible, you're familiar that God's people repeated verbally what God had done. How many times do we come across where they are praising God for dividing the sea and rescuing them from uh, Pharaoh and from the armies that were going to slaughter them and God divided the sea so they could cross over on dry ground during the Exodus? And they talked about that. And they talked about Abraham and Isaac in Jacob, and they were so good about passing on verbally to the next generation what God had done. And they had a long stretch where really the only thing they could talk about was what God had done quite some time ago. But now, after this incredible work that God had done. Now the people could not only talk about Moses and Abraham, but now they could talk about how beautifully God was working to keep the city that he had for them in beautiful working order and how they could gather for worship like God intended it. Here at Calvary, here's what we say in the area of expression. We are taking the gospel message to people that we share life with the people in our communities, and the people around the world. All right, we're going to close. Instead of giving you a what can you do at the end of this, we're going to answer a question. We're going to have a business meeting next week, and we're going to kind of give you the what of what we're planning on doing. We're also going to give you the how of how we're planning on doing this. But I wanted to take just a moment right now, and in regard to these four areas, I wanted to give you the why. Now, let me just say this right off the bat. Not a one of these is a reason enough to make a major investment. But when we look at all of these together, and when we pray as a leadership and you pray as a church about what direction should we move, hopefully it would be compelling. Number one, and I don't have a slide for this, and so you uh, write down if you like to. I can give you my notes afterwards if you want. How is it going to help us in the area of instruction? And this is, most of this is very, very practical. Uh, you know, in the area of instruction, our screens. We have screens that will have better visibility. Right now we have shadows that are coming across those and that will help in our area of instruction. We have a variety of efforts to point anyone towards, everyone towards the center. And that's our desire. We have a proposal to have curved pews and actually have everyone facing right toward the middle, the message of God. And even new people that come in, we want to make sure that the preaching is central and that what we do points to that. We need to improve the lighting so we don't have shadows that are being cast. Some of you, if you've been here at the right time, you've seen even a strobe effect from some of these lights. Uh, Just so you know, yes, that does distract me when that happens and I'm preaching. It distracts some of you as well. 
but we need to improve that. How about the area of a fellowship? How is making improvements to our sanctuary going to help us in our fellowship? Well, in this process, I can just tell you already, two years into this, I have seen individuals that have been able to use their gift for the purpose of making improvements to this house of worship. There have been hundreds of hours of research, of planning, of meetings, of prayer, and I have seen God clearly involved clearly directing here, clearly putting a stop to this, clearly moving this forward as individuals have prayed. And there's been an incredible fellowship already with people who have given a lot of effort and time. The area of expression. Now I said, none of these is just an obvious thing. In fact, every one of these reasons is likely debatable. So if you're one that likes to debate, that's fine. Every one of these is fodder for you. You can debate every one of these. In the area of expression, as we've talked about this, what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to make improvements. And when that happens, we're praying that the excitement and enthusiasm from those within our church family will overflow. They'll be excited about the positive direction that Calvary is going because some churches, they're not able to make improvements or um, even additions. I saw a picture in the past week on social media of somebody and they were in a church and my, my eye always goes to certain things, and they had a color on the pews, and I won't tell you what color it was, but I promise you it was not created after 1990. And I saw the, the front of the sanctuary and the lighting, and it was very clear that they, I'm not sure what the reason is, but it seemed like they weren't able to make maybe appropriate updates as they went. That stood out to me, and we're hoping that people will have enthusiasm in our church family, and that will flow out of here. Also in the area of expression, when we are able to make improvements, new families that visit Calvary will be encouraged by an updated facility with a modern look. And that leads right to the next one. When we look at expression and we look about getting the gospel out, some would say, well, how in the world is changing the paint color or making this change going to help with that? We at Calvary have a strong emphasis on missions. Let me tell you, in the day we live in, this is in, in churches and in leaderships and directions that they're going, we are unique in, in America in the emphasis that we can still give to missions. And we don't want to change that. We have some updates to our missions policy that we've asked you to read. And we're going to vote on making some things that make, a, make it better and make it easier for us to do missions. We don't want to decrease that. We have built in that 12 Sundays out of the year, those offerings go right towards missions. That's why we were able to give over $61,000 to missions last year. We are blessed because of this. And when we have families that are being added, when there are families that are encouraged by an updated facility with a modern look, they're going to choose to be a part of this, and they're going to be a part of us being able to continue to keep up that focus on missions as we have built in that wonderful missions program. So it helps us with expression. And then, of course, worship. Worship is not a tough one for us to figure out. As part of our worship, we praise God for his plan of the church. And at Calvary, we praise him that we're able to keep our facility up in good condition and that, we, uh, and that we can base a number of ministries from what we do here. 
one of the most telling responses that we got back in the congregation survey. We surveyed the whole congregation and one of the most telling responses to me was they were talking about the platform space and what we do here makes it a little bit harder when it comes to children's programs and when it comes to the orchestra and different things that, might want, that we might want to do. And some person just said, well, I guess if it's going to make it easier for the people that do a lot of the ministry and work here, if it's going to make it easier for them, why not? I thought that was a sweet spirit and sweet attitude. <clears throat> Let me just close by saying this. When we look at the book of Nehemiah, we see this wonderful work that God did, but also this is a go-to book for individuals that talk about the topic of leadership. I have been blessed as the pastor at Calvary for the past five years plus to sit and work and to stand alongside and work with the deacons and the trustees as a leadership. I have seen God clearly be involved. The wonderful giftedness that God has given the leadership that we have, the questions that have been asked. In fact, one of the, most, one of the things I get most excited about when someone asks me the question, have we done our homework on this? Are we prepared for this? Have we considered this? There's a good chance that we've not exhaustively asked every possible question. We'll have a meeting next week for that. But having said that, the questions that have been asked and have been answered have been so beautiful. So it's been a long process. And it's been a struggle for some who are fast movers, but it's been very, very healthy. And the individuals, we have folks on our board that are gifted with specifics of this, with looking at detail, with finances, with praying through. We have some individuals that are paying attention to the feelings of those in this group and in this group and how you're going to feel. It's been beautiful to see that. And so we have a leadership here that I think has been specifically pointing us towards this direction. And I'm gonna ask you just to pray about that. I don't preach topical messages too often. We'll stop at Easter and preach a topical message because it's appropriate. We oftentimes stop around Sanctity of Life Sunday because that's appropriate for us to focus on that. And I wanted to take some time. Next week, we'll talk about the what. We'll talk about the how, the plan to get there, which there's a good plan. It's been developed by good men. But we wanted to talk about the why. I want to ask you to pray about this. And not only to pray about it, but I want to ask you to be involved in it. That's part of the how that we'll get into next week. And then test me, if you will. Worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression. These are going to guide us, and I think they will guide a healthy church until Jesus Christ comes back for us. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, as we close this time, this one more session, as we've joined together and opened your word, We've looked at your faithfulness. We've seen your faithful a servant, Nehemiah. We've seen the people and how they were blessed to rise up and build. And God, I would thank you for what you have done. And we recognize that the, peop- that the church is the people. And I thank you for the brothers and sisters here at this wonderful local assembly. And I would pray, God, that you would be specifically invading their hearts and invading their minds, asking them, What might I be able to do to better help others to worship and to get instruction or give instruction and to get fellowship or give fellowship and go out from this place and spread God's love? 
what a wonderful blessing it is to see that what you have planned for us today has been going back for century after century. And God, you know us and you have made us and we thank you, God, that you love us and have put, a, put us in this place for such a time as this. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Ron to play through just a stanza. This has not been an evangelistic message today, meaning we've not talked to you about how you need to, if you're not already a Christian, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But my experience is God gives messages in ways that oftentimes I did not intend. So if it's your desire today to accept Christ as your Savior because he died on a cross for your sins, you can ask him to save you right now. If God has pulled on your heart in some other way, I'd ask you just to talk and pray with your God just as Ron plays through.